We're in a new section of Scripture this morning in John chapter 11. A familiar text for most of us, the death and resurrection of Lazarus. And we'll be studying this for a little while. But I'd like to read for you as we consider the the blessings of Bethany, and we consider the love of God, we consider the the love and devotion that we will see as we study the lives of Lazarus and Martha and Mary. When Louis Laws became warden of Sing Sing Prison in 1920, the inmates existed in wretched conditions. This led him to introduce humanitarian reforms. He gave much of the credit to his wife, Catherine, however, who always treated the prisoners as human beings. She would often take her three children and sit with the gangsters, the murderers, and the racketeers while they played basketball and baseball. Then in 1937, Catherine was killed in a car accident. The next day, her body lay in a casket in the house about a quarter of a mile from the institution. When the acting warden found hundreds of prisoners crowded around the main entrance of the prison, he knew what they wanted. Open the gate, he said. Men, I'm going to trust you. Now, these were hardened criminals. You can go to the house. No count was taken. No guards were posted. Yet not one man was missing that night. Love for one who had loved them made them dependable. And we'll see such love and devotion as we study the lives that we find here in the Scripture, in this section in John chapter 11. So as we look at John 11, we're also going to be turning back to Luke chapter 10. So you may want to put your finger in Luke chapter 10, or you may want to mark that somehow, put a bookmark in there. And also in John chapter 12, and a scripture I will be referencing will be 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now that we have a heads up with that, we come to the seventh sign in the Gospel of John. The seventh sign. And we have studied all six together over these last several months or so. As Jesus changed water into wine, that was the first in John chapter 2. And then the healing of the nobleman's son in chapter 4. Healing of the lame man in chapter 5. Feeding the multitude in chapter 6. As he walked on water in chapter 6. Healing of the man born blind in chapter 9. And the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Let us look and read these scriptures, follow along with me so we can get the account of what's taking place, and then we will focus in early on on the first few scriptures. Beginning in verse 1, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he he who you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. 
Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in a day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in a night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been laid in the tomb. He had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them during, concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. When he had said this, she went away. She had said this. She went away, excuse me, and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were there in the house and consoling her when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes 
and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you I know that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around him with a cloth. And he said, Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus had done. Father, we ask at this time, as we just read a lengthy portion of Scripture, how beautiful it is, your word, audibly, your word that we can read. God, give us understanding this day. Help me, please, Lord, we pray, to be faithful to your text. In Jesus' name, amen. So the raising of Lazarus from the dead, the final climactic sign before the close of the public ministry of Jesus Christ in chapter 12. Here we find the events taking place in and around Bethany before the triumphal entry of the Lord in chapter 12 in Jerusalem. And in chapter 13 through 17, we have the farewell discourses. So the raising of the dead is something that is found only four times in the Old Testament. In Elijah's raising of the widow's son, 1 Kings 17. Elisha's raising of the son of the Shunammite woman, 2 Kings 4. Elisha's raising of a dead man in 2 Kings 13. And then the account of the witch of Endor's bringing Samuel back due to the king Saul's request in 1 Samuel 28. And of course, there is Ezekiel's vision of the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel 37. But when we consider the raising of the dead, we we view it as an expression of the power of God and understand it as a, a preview of the final resurrection. Just as each of the other six signs expressed and or pointed to directly the power of the Son of God, the resurrection of Lazarus serves as a type and points to the death and resurrection of Jesus. As Jesus said in John 2, 20 through 22, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. As we consider this seventh sign, we understand it as John wants us to understand it. As the end, and towards the end of the gospel in John 20, verse 31, these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. The scripture speaks of the resurrection as a miraculous event of divine power by God. As we see with Lazarus, also the scripture speaks of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let us be reminded of that this morning, for we are sitting here this morning because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll read these texts for you. 
You can follow along if you'd like. Paul says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, And last of all, as to one untimely born, Paul says, He appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace towards me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, we preach and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, if we are found to be a false witnesses of God, because we testified again against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact... The dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. And you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. The scripture speaks of the resurrection of Lazarus. More importantly, uh, as we consider this, it is couched in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The scripture also speaks of the final resurrection of the righteous and the wicked. Something that we looked at uh, Wednesday night. Believers will be raised from the dead. And will ultimately receive glorified bodies. Unbelievers will also be raised. And will face the judgment of Christ. The uh, London Baptist Confession of Faith lays it out in paragraph form. I'll read it for you just to give us a succinct and summarization of this. The bodies of those who have died return to dust and undergo destruction, but their souls neither die nor sleep because they have an immortal immortal character and immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous are then made perfect in holiness and are received into paradise. There they are with Christ and behold the face of God in light and glory while they wait for the full redemption of their bodies." The souls of the wicked are thrown into hell, where they remain in torment and utter darkness, reserved for the judgment of the great day. The scripture recognizes no place other than these two 
for souls separated from their bodies. And in the last day, the saints who are found alive will not sleep, but will be changed. The dead will be raised up with the very same bodies, not different ones, though they will have different qualities. Their bodies will be united again to their souls forever. When we consider Lazarus, he has quite the unique situation, doesn't he? Quite a unique uh, story to tell, true story to tell. Born into the world and then born again. Dies due to his illness and then spent time as one who was dead. Was raised from the dead by Jesus. Lived the rest of his life, then died again. He is with the Lord and and waits for the last day where he'll be raised up once and for all in glorification. That's not the norm. But it is... For Lazarus, he's an interesting individual. He had quite a story to tell, but we do not find him saying a word at all. We do not find him talking in the Gospel of John. We do not find him talking in the other Gospels and giving an account. And we can learn from this. A few people we need to get to know from the Scriptures this morning that we need to learn from. And we start with Lazarus. So we have the life of Lazarus, secondly, the mood and motivation of Martha, and thirdly, the meekness of Mary. Life of Lazarus, a mood and motivation of Martha, and then uh, the, the meekness of Mary. So first, Lazarus. A certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, and the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So Lazarus of Bethany, he and Mary and Martha, they were siblings. Bethany, less than... Uh, two miles from Jerusalem. So this was very close. Even in their time, they could make it there in, in a few hours on foot. News could travel very quickly. I mean, news today travels at an instant, right? But news back then maybe took a little bit longer. You had to write something. You had to uh, uh, send a scroll. People had to hear it or word of mouth was passed. But if you live two miles from where something is taking place, you could find out same day and go back there and, and learn about it and see it firsthand. Quite the situation. But if we're tempted in mind to consider this Lazarus as the same Lazarus in Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus, we can quickly understand they're not the same man. Lazarus of Luke 16 was a beggar. He was uncared for and he was an outcast. The Lazarus we find here in John, he was one of means, some level of means. He was loved by his sisters, and he had a dwelling in Bethany. So this man Lazarus became sick, and it was an illness that was severe that led to his death. Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So they're not saying this like our our brother has a cold and he might not be here today or whatnot. No, he's on his deathbed. This is it. He is, he's sick. Jesus knew Lazarus well. He stayed in Bethany whenever time he was there in Bethany. And in Jerusalem, it was close enough that we could stay there in Bethany as well. Jesus loved Lazarus as his Sisters mentioned, 
The one whom you love is sick. Could you, could you imagine being Lazarus and knowing that uh, you're described as the one whom Jesus loves? Even the Apostle John, uh, the, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Here, Lazarus, uh, as they t- talk about him, although we understand he's not hearing this, but the one whom you love is sick. Jesus really cared for Lazarus and his sisters. We saw that when we just read the account. Where have you laid them? Verse 33, 34, 35. Where have you laid him? And Jesus saw how they were agonizing and they were grieving over the, over the death of Lazarus. And Jesus wept. He cared about them. And he cares about you this morning. Also, Jesus says to his disciples in verse 11, our friend Lazarus. So he's saying to his other disciples, this is our our friend. So they had some type of um, relationship with him as well. Not only was Lazarus very sick, but he also died, we understand. One of the main points in this section in John has to do with the literal death of Lazarus and him remaining dead for four days, according to his sister Martha in verse 39. Many mourned over the death of Lazarus. Many saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. Then we find Lazarus in chapter 12 reclining at the table with Jesus after he was raised from the dead at the supper at Bethany. Other than this, we know very little about Lazarus. Nothing about his reactions of being uh, dead and then Jesus calling him out of the tomb and coming forth and coming back to life. Consider uh, if somebody, if that happened in our context today, if somebody that passed away, that died, was in a coffin or in one of those um, raised things where they place someone who has passed. Can't think of the name. And then they come out. And then they don't say anything about it or nothing's recorded about it. But nothing, none of his reactions, none of the Gospels recorded him saying anything about this. He seemed to be more of a quiet man. But just because nothing is recorded of what Lazarus may have said, he's still nonetheless a witness of Jesus Christ. A witness to Jesus. He was such an effective witness that he was a threat to the chief priests. And they planned to have him killed. Notice this in chapter 12, verse 9 through 11. The large crowds of the Jews then learned that he was there. And they came, this is after the fact, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. Now, they weren't there like the other folks saying, I want to see this man. We knew him before, and now Jesus did this in his life. Wow, we want to celebrate with him. The chief priest planned to put Lazarus to death also. Why? He was a threat to their power. Why? He was a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a witness to what Jesus had done. He was sitting at the table with him. In the times of the Lord, ministry on earth, funerals were very public events and were well attended. 
Um, We see this in verse 19 of chapter 11. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Oh, we've heard about this man Lazarus who is however old. And we've known him since he was a child. Or we're familiar with him since he is a child. He's died hundreds, if not thousands, go to uh, the, the funeral. Or go to console Mary and Martha. And also the Passover was near. It was six days away. So more people would have been in Jerusalem two miles approximately away from Bethany. So we're talking thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, people in the vicinity. And they catch ear that Jesus was around, that Jesus was there, and that he just raised this man Lazarus from the dead. Now, I don't know about you, but I would say, well, I'm going. Let's go see, and see what this is all about. So hundreds, if not thousands, came to Bethany to visit Lazarus after Christ raised him from the dead. So first, many go to um, console Mary and Martha to go visit while Lazarus is dead, after he died. And then they find out days later, no, indeed, he has been risen from the dead. And then more people come when they hear about this. See, with Lazarus, his life was a witness. Um, You want to see this, what's called friendship evangelism or whatever. Uh, This is it with Lazarus. As we study this seventh sign, we we understand now that when Jesus did these things, there was a significant spiritual application or illustration to each one. The raising of Lazarus from the dead is an illustration of this spiritual resurrection to which all who are Christians can identify with. So we are not to miss that. It is right there before us. We were dead in sin, dead in our transgressions. And Christ came, and He has called us, and we are made alive together with Christ. Raised from our deadness in sin and made alive with Christ. Born again. Christians, Jesus has resurrected you spiritually. Now, you may not um, feel that way this morning. Maybe you are tired. Maybe you feel like you're about to, to, to go back to, um, to a dead state of being asleep. But Jesus has resurrected you spiritually. You're no longer dead in sin. But you are alive in Christ. As Lazarus sat at the table with Jesus, he was identifying himself openly with Jesus Christ. And people say today, oh, identify this way, identify this way. He identified with Jesus Christ. He was sitting at the table. He was not going far from Jesus. He was right there. Question for us, is that true of you? Is it obvious by your life that you are one who identifies with Jesus Christ? One who has been resurrected from the dead, spiritually speaking. Do they look at your life and say, Indeed, this is one who Jesus has raised from the dead spiritually. Praise God we have a man of God here. We have a a woman of God here. Wow, we have a live one here. 
I do not want to be morbid nor morose, but if you've ever been in the presence of a corpse, it's obvious that this person has died. When I worked as a social worker for hospice, at times I would be there when the nurse pronounced the death. I would be there with this individual when they took their last breath. They were alive one minute. I'm sitting right there. They are a foot in front of me. I'm trying to do whatever I could to console them, recognizing that hearing is the last thing to go. Nurse walks out of the room or whatever it may be, and I'm trying to share the gospel because this person is about to step into eternity. They take their last breath. It is obvious from then on that they are expired. They are, have passed away. They are dead. And that point on, the body begins to do things and decomposition and such. We don't need to go into details. Any doubt about it? We'll just check their vitals. That's all one has to do. Is that person dead or alive? I can't tell. We'll check the vitals. It is also obvious when someone is alive, has been alive, is alive physically. Everyone in here today is alive physically. You're breathing, blinking, you're not sleeping this morning. Should it also be obvious that a person who has been risen from a dead state of depravity, who has been made alive in Jesus Christ, has been changed, is that should not also be obvious? Lazarus' life was a witness. And he didn't say anything, at least that's recorded for us. Now, let me take that on another. Let me go to the other uh, extreme of that, if I can use that word. That does not give us the freedom to say, well, I'm going to be just like Lazarus. I am going to walk before people and live before people and never say a thing about Jesus Christ. And they're just going to see me and say, wow, I want to follow Jesus. Doesn't work that way. Our life that we live should not contradict the words that we say and who we say we follow. So if someone were to ask Lazarus or we saw him... uh, speaking, there would be a a testimony indeed. So we have the life of Lazarus and we have the mood and motivation of Martha. Let's look at Luke 10 for a moment. I told you we were going there. Luke 10. So this is an earlier account. Okay, this is what happened and then chapter 12 of of John is a, a different time. <clears throat> okay, so Luke chapter 10, verse 38, 41, 42. We're just going to read that, and I'll make some uh, applications to that, bring them some things out of that. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was doing what? Recognize this. Always remember this. Where is Mary? She is seated at the feet of the Lord Jesus. She was doing what? She was listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, 
Do you not care that my sister has left me to do the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now Martha, as we know, was Lazarus' sister. We find her uh, statements threaded throughout chapter 11 in John. We see that she's also at the same supper with Lazarus and Mary in chapter 12. We learn more about her in Luke chapter 10. We just read a little bit about her. And we see that this was in Luke. This was her home. Martha welcomed him, Jesus, into her home. So that's Martha's house. She, this suggests that she have, may, may have been the oldest. So Martha, Mary, Lazarus. She welcomed Jesus and, and the disciples were with him. Lazarus is not mentioned, but Mary was there. So focusing in on the interaction. Martha hosting Jesus in her home. Her main concern was all of her preparations, which had her distracted. Now, ladies that host people in their home, you can see this right now, and you're like, I can relate. Her main concern, all the preparations, which had her distracted. Perhaps she had little warning that Jesus was coming. Some of us, some of you can relate to that as well. Little, oh, someone's coming to the house and, oh, we got to, everything gets fixed up real quick. Or you just say, well, I don't care. They, we've known them for years anyway. They'll understand. Whatever it may be. But she was gifted in her domestic instincts and knew what to do and how to do it. And she would make the food. She would serve the food. It was kind of like an old school version of Martha Stewart before jail time. But this was no ordinary guest. Nevertheless, the cooking, the cleaning, the setup, it had to be done. It was to be done. Everything had to be just right. She was using her gifts and skills to serve the Lord. She was one of the 20% who was doing 80% of the work. It used to be 10% in 90, you remember? The issue is her mind was on herself and not on Jesus. Don't get lost here in the details. Lord, do you not care about that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. That's quite a way to approach Jesus Christ and, and say this to him. Almost sounds like Peter trying to tell Jesus what to do. Her hands were in the right place, serving the Lord, but her heart was in the wrong place, on herself. James Boyce says, she had her mind on herself, and because she had her mind on herself, she felt unappreciated, neglected, and abused. Later, when she had gotten her mind off herself and onto the Lord, she lost those feelings and did what she did buoyantly. So, one who serves but is caught up in what she is doing and what others are not doing because her focus is on herself and not on Jesus Christ. 
Does that sound familiar, perhaps, to any individual here this morning? Perhaps you serve, and you serve to the bone, diligently, fingers to the, to the bone, but you're caught up in yourself. Martha was doing much of the serving, the hands-on, and complaining about it as well. Jesus rebuked her, and he did this gently. Martha, Martha, are you worried and bothered about so many things? But Mary has chosen the good part. Well, what was the good part? Mary was doing what was more important, spending time with Jesus. Yet after the rebuke, after the rebuke to Martha, she listened to it, and her heart was changed. She could have imagined if she could if she avoided what Jesus said and did not listen to it. But she did, and we see that she was a different person. Later in chapter 11 of John, after Lazarus died with all the guests coming in and out of the house, it was Martha, not Mary, who went out to meet Jesus when she heard he was coming. We see that in chapter 11 of John. Verse 21 through 27. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask, God will give you. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. She says in verse 27, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Our focus then is on Christ, not on her. Then we find Martha once again in John chapter 12 and she's back to serving tables she's back to helping back to her gifting but she's not complaining why because her focus is no longer on herself her focus is no longer what Mary's doing her focus is on Jesus Christ and that gives her the freedom to serve and not worry about well other people aren't serving but but I am and I, my focus is on Christ Mary was there in chapter 12, Lazarus was there, disciples were there, and Mary, excuse me, Martha was serving and she was not complaining. When confronted by the Lord, she comes under conviction and realized her heart was not right, not in the right place. When corrected, she did not go home and pout. There's only one thing worse than a grown woman who would pout over things like that, and that would be a grown man who would pout. And she didn't go gossip about her correction. Do you know what he told me? She took loving correction, and she changed her attitude and actions, and there was blessings in Bethany because of it. So we have the life of Lazarus, we have the mood and motivation of Martha, and then we have the meekness of Mary. This gentleness, humility, this meekness of Mary. Mary is the one who stands out most among these three. We learn all from, we learn uh, much from each of the three of them, but Mary, she really stands out to us. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped her feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Again, when we want to know, where is Mary? Uh, what's Mary doing? Well, she's at the Lord's feet, which is the posture of a disciple. 
We find this to be true as well in Luke chapter 10, which we, we looked at a moment ago. She was at the disciples' feet. What was she doing? She was listening to the word. Mary had chosen a good part from which will not be taken away from her. And in chapter 11 of John, when Jesus called her, when she saw him, what did she do immediately? She fell at his feet. Reverent worship. At the banquet in chapter 12, once again, where do we find Mary? Take a guess. She's at the feet of Jesus. She washes his feet with her hair, which, Lord willing, we'll we'll look at the details of that later. Not today, meaning later. Using very costly perfume. Don't miss the applications to that either. Surrendering to Christ with her life and pouring out what was most valuable that she may have possessed. Complete worship, complete devotion to Jesus Christ. A sweet-smelling fragrance of a life surrendered to Jesus. When His Word was being taught, she was listening. When it was time to worship, she was there. When others were distracted, she was worshiping Jesus Christ. Her priorities were in obedience to Christ. Does Mary's life describe us this morning with her devotion to Jesus? Where is so-and-so? He or she, they're, they're at the feet of Jesus. Oh yes, that's, that's right. That's where they usually are. That's where we usually find them. As we were listening to a, a hymn or a, a song on the way here from the Photo Sisters, there was a couple of lyrics in there, a few lyrics in there that, again, was another... Uh, peace that the Lord gives me as things finalize in my brain and in my heart and as I stand before you, she says in the song, I choose to spend my life on the things above. I choose to spend my life on the things above. Brothers and sisters, get that. What are you spending your life on Monday through Saturday? Is it on the things above? Faith, hope, and love. Uh, Richard Phillips in his commentary says this, and this will really uh, may dig at some of you as it dug at me. Mary's gift challenges us regarding the price we're willing to pay as the disciples of Jesus. What is your most treasured possession? Is it your stock portfolio? Well, as we realize, that could be gone in a crash. Gone with inflation. Gone like a freight train. If so, then the one way you can place Jesus first is to give sacrificially from your treasured assets out of love for Him. He asks the other question, is it your lifestyle? Should, should you consider giving up recreation to do service in the church or share the gospel with others? I mean, after all, 
The church is what Jesus Christ shed and bled his life up for. And after all, there are lost people that need the gospel. And as I reminded some uh, folks we met yesterday, New Hampshire, uh, New England is a mission field. He asks other questions. Is it the standard of living that you provide for your family, which you would not give up to go, to, go into full-time Christian work, if the Lord obviously called, called you to that? Is it the self-image that worldly acceptance provides you, so that you will not boldly identify yourself as a Christian? Brings us back to those seated at the table, Lazarus, uh, uh, Mary, and, and Martha. If so, he says, you should examine your heart and recalculate the value of the Lord Jesus Christ, drawing near to him to cultivate the costly devotion of Mary. I find it in God's providence, I find it by no coincidence that for some reason a box of books was laid at the church door. I don't remember, maybe I ordered them, but they were free. And the author of that book happens to be an hour and a half from here in a couple of weeks. A scholar who we could learn from for free and even have a dessert on Friday night if, if we're available for such things, if our schedule allows. What is it costing you now to follow Jesus? We were, Lindsay and I, yesterday we went to a friend's football game. A young man was playing high school football. And it was easy for us to try to tell everyone on the field what to do. Right? We were sitting back, relaxed, and, and having a good time, and watching the game, and it was, it was great, and we were cheering them on at times. And then there's the coach, and he's got skin in the game. His hands are dirty because he's been on that field before, and he's there, but we're sitting there saying, hey, you know, he could have done this, that, and that. But who's it doing the work? Is the ones on the field. They're the ones getting dirty. Consider that and use a parallel to Christianity. Use the parallels to the local church. Be one of those who are getting their hands dirty. Don't be one of those who can stand back and see everyone else serving, everyone else coming to church and say, ha, look at that over there and look at this over here and I can't stand that right there. This could be done differently. Well, get your hands dirty. And many of you do. Many of you have hands that are dirty and scarred and ripped up. You follow the illustration of service to Christ. But we must be careful that we do not have the heart disposition of Martha before her correction from the Lord. So Lindsay and I, after that, we went to down where we live and they were having... Meet the candidate on the greens. Meet the candidates on the greens. I said, oh, this is going to be great. Let's go. I'm curious. And, um, and so we drove around a little. And we were like, oh, should we go? Should we go? There wasn't a lot of people. There was like five or six people there. And, you know, I really wanted to go just to thank these people because it's an ugly atmosphere. And they're giving their time, these people who are running locally for, for this election. I just thank you for running, you know, really. <laughs> they're going into a, a nightmare. 
in many ways. But if we're talking, and I like to throw out feelers, because when we have a conversation with people, we want to get to the gospel in some way. We want to get to spiritual things. Sometimes it takes a little longer, sometimes it's two seconds. But as I was talking to this gentleman, he was a nice guy, and his friend, the other man, he was a nice guy. And they they were just really kind, and they had a lot of nice things to say. But when I said about living in New Hampshire, I'm a pastor. Oh, you know, that's when everything changes, either from it goes better or it goes worse, and it usually happens pretty quick. But then there's this general answer that, that people give now. And this is, I'm a person of faith too. That can mean a million different things. I'm a person of faith, yeah. Well, faith in what, sir? Do you believe in the Son of God? Do you believe that if you died today, you would spend eternity in heaven? So let us not uh, be, be folks who would use general terms to describe what God has done in our hearts. Let us be bold to say, I am a Christian. I am born again. Jesus Christ died for my sins. And if you sit here long enough, I would love to tell you about it. Because if you died today, you would die without Christ if you do not know him. So the life of Lazarus, the mood and motivation of Martha, and the meekness of Mary. By the way, they had coffee and donuts too, and we didn't have any of it. So just for the record. The applications, applications for us, concluding thoughts. We ought to be able to take away from the lives of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And we'll learn more about them as we go along. And we, we say, Lord, what can we learn from this? What can we take away from their life? And what do we need to, to, to leave? What can we learn from how, how they were? And what do we say? Oh, I need to avoid that. Well, Lazarus, it was obvious that he had a radical transformation and encounter with Jesus Christ. We do not read him saying anything again, but we do find him after his resurrection, close to Jesus, sitting at his table. His life was a witness. As a Christian, the way that we react and the way we live, the actions we take or do not take, our commitment to the Lord and, to, and the people of the Lord, or our lack of commitment to these things, is visible without saying a word. For Martha, gifted in so many areas of hands-on service, hospitable, it's amazing when I, I see some of the, the giftedness of some of the ladies here in different ways. You don't even know that I see some things. I'm like, wow. And I try to do something like that. And it's like, no way. It's not going to happen. But you're gifted in certain ways. And use that for the service of the Lord. But she was distracted and worried and bothered about many things. Distracted in Greek is dragged away. Dragged away. Doing one thing and, uh, and then something else catches your attention and you go on to do something else. Her service distract, distracted her away from Jesus. That's the main problem. Her ministry was keeping her from Jesus Christ. Consider that. She had a sinful attitude in the first account. That can be described as self-righteous an attitude of self-pity and resentful. 
Philip Graham Ryken describes it like this. One minute she was welcoming Jesus, Jesus into her home with joy, and the next minute she was busy in the kitchen. And the minute after that, she was making a scene in the living room. Martha's attitude was more than unattractive, he says. It was ugly. She had stopped serving and started scolding. She interrupted Jesus and interfered with her sister's relationship with her Savior. If she could, she would even usurp the place of God in Christ by telling Jesus what to do. So we need to learn from Martha that ungodly attitudes and service to Christ, they just do not mix. It's like oil and water. You can see both of them, but they, they just don't mix together. It leads to neglect of the Word of God, neglect of prayer, and neglect of the priority of the church in your life. Learn from her correction. When Jesus reproved her, she took that correction and changed. And then there's Mary. The Lord says of Mary that Mary has chosen a good part which shall be taken away from her. Excuse me, shall not be taken away from her. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Listen to what he says from his word, from biblical teachings, from the podcast of men of God. Be devoted to the teachings of the word of God. Mary could be described as one who loved Jesus and loved the word of God. God does not, need our, does not need our service. We have the opportunity and the blessing to be able to serve. He is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, but we need Christ and we need his word. He himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Think about that. You wake up this morning, you wake up tomorrow. Well, the Lord has given me life, breath, and all things. Do you consider him worthy of complete surrender? Paul David Tripp from his book, Broken Down House, Lindsay Doesn't Know. I got the quote from her and I wrote it down from the book there. Another thing that God providentially uses throughout the week in my life and just lays it right there. And she says, read this. And I do well to heed when Lindsay says to read something. Right? By the way, I appreciate my wife very much. Um, if it wasn't for her, I would not be here. I would not be in ministry. And uh, I could say many more things and embarrass her and make a lot of jokes, but I won't. And many of you say, yeah, we understand that. We know that. I'm glad you finally realized it, Wes. But Paul David Tripp from his book, Broken Down House. This side of heaven, we must resist defining spirituality as anything other than a deep devotion to Christ. Kind of goes back to what I was saying with a, I'm a person of faith or, or whatnot. This side of heaven, we must resist defining spirituality as anything other than a deep devotion to Christ. The fruit of which is a lifestyle of daily worship of him and active service in his kingdom. We must be keenly aware of the covert danger of a Christless Christianity. 
which passes itself off as something it is not, and in so doing has the power to deceive and derail many. Lazarus, Martha, and Mary were all found in John 12 within the crowd of people. They were at the table of Jesus, hungry for the food of the Lord. The danger for us is to nibble at the food of the Lord while gorging ourselves in the buffet that the world provides. Many of us love a good buffet, but a buffet of the world is damaging to our soul. Some of you have never eaten from the table of the Lord, never been hungry for the Word of God, because you've never been changed by the Lord. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. I am the bread of life, he says. Scriptures tell us the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Word of God commands all to repent of sin and to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Commanded by God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one will come to the Father but by Him. And for those of us in here who know the Lord Jesus and who have heard this today, and let us learn from Lazarus and Martha and Mary what we can take away from their lives. For the glory of Christ, let us pray. O Lord, our God, that we would agree with the song, the lyrics, that we choose to spend our life on things above. God, when we consider the life of Lazarus, a man who we just see him uh, dramatically, traumatically, and radically changed by Jesus Christ in conversion and risen from the dead, and then he was there near Jesus with him. And we see the mood and motivation of Martha. And she wanted to serve you, Lord. She wanted to serve people, and she was gifted. She had the wrong attitude. But Lord, you corrected her and she changed. And she continued on serving with a changed attitude, a changed mind, renewed heart. God, and then we see the meekness of Mary being at the feet of Jesus. And Lord, how we need to be at your feet each and every day. God, that we would not nibble from the things of the Lord from his word but we would devour it that we would turn from the table that the the world of the world the, the food that the world provides and continually turn to what you provide for us thank you for your kindness that you continue to show us in Jesus name amen